0: Morning, church. How are you guys doing? Awesome. I like the volume. It's great. Well, I'm honored with the privilege and the responsibility of teaching God's Word this morning. Uh, We're continuing our series on prayer, um, and we addressed topics already like um, praying seriously and then praying persistently. And this morning, we're going to talk about how Jesus commands us to pray missionally. The Olympics start in five days, people. How many of you are excited? Wow. There we go. We got some hands. I am super excited. My family is like super into the Olympics. Now, some of you guys may be fans of the Olympics, but I can almost guarantee that none of you know it like my dad does. I'm not kidding. My dad watches the Summer and Winter Olympics religiously. Like when it's on for that week, like there's just like a no coming downstairs into the living room, like tape on the door. You just don't walk in. My dad knows every event, every athlete, where they're from, how many medals they've won in the past and what their goal is for this year. He knows all of the strategies of every single event. I'm not kidding. He does. It's, it's ridiculous. You'll hear, I'll, I'll be in my room and he'll be like screaming these weird like names of stuff and I have no idea what he's talking about. And like, I like sports, but I like watching football and soccer, you know, like the regular ones. So when I sit with him and he's chanting for all these different, like, strategies and names, I'm just like, sports, yes, go my favorite person, go. Throw the puck in the hoop zone. And then my dad gets frustrated because I have no idea what I'm talking about, and then he has to turn up the volume. If you think about it, there are two different types of people at the Olympics. There are the athletes, the ones who train relentlessly, sometimes for events that only last a few seconds long, and then there are the spectators, the ones who, who watch the game, who will either go to Rio Madrid, this, Rio Brazil this year, or, like myself and most of you, I'm sure, will be sitting on our nice couches and our wonderful AC with a nice TV up on the wall and maybe a soda or whatever you like to drink in the afternoons. And that's just, and that, that's just how, we, how we watch it. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul compares the Christian life to a marathon. We're called to be running in the race, but we see many believers as spectators rather than running the marathon. And there are different aspects to the race that God calls us to do, which bring Him glory. He calls us to live holy lives. He calls us to abide in Him. He calls us to serve others in and outside of the church. He calls us to saturate our lives with His Word. He calls us to pray. He calls us to tell others about Jesus. And He calls us to go and make disciples. This morning our passage focuses on actively praying for people to rise up to go and make disciples Now I don't know if you've noticed by my physique, but God has not gifted me with the ability to run long distances As for many of you, I'm sure. Amen there. So I played football. It was short. I only had to run for 15 seconds and I got to hit whoever I wanted. It was great I played football for four years and I was had teammates that were that, that were on the team who wanted to wear the jersey so they could go to school and show their friends and the girl that they liked. that They had this official nice football uniform on. And, but none of them actually wanted to play the game because they were afraid of getting hurt or afraid that they weren't going to do well and then they were going to embarrass themselves. Many of us as Christians act like that as well, don't we? We like to hang out with our Christian friends and in church and and be in fellowship, which is, all those things are absolutely wonderful, but it reaches to the point of where we forget to do what we're called to do by going out into the world and, and, and finding the lost and telling them about Jesus. Now, if you will, please turn into your Bibles to Matthew 9, 35 through 38. We're going to be looking at how prayer takes us from being a spectator to being a participant and helps get us into the game. Now if you're using a Pew Bible, it can be found on page 814. So again, the passage is Matthew 9:35 through 38, and in the Pew Bible we're going to find it on page 814. And this is what the passage says. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray with me. gently, Father, Lord, first I want to thank you for the freedom that we have to sit in this this large room, Lord, and dig, dig into your word this morning. Lord, you are the Lord of the harvest, and I pray that, uh, that as we go through this, we too will, will learn to actively pray missionally for, for laborers, Lord, and it will be for your glory. And Lord, I pray this morning that your words would be spoken and not my own. And in your heavenly name I pray, amen. So there are three essentials that we need to pray, to pray missionally. Essential number one is we need to understand God's mission. And the mission is to glorify God by making disciples. Verse 35 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. So we see that Jesus had a missional lifestyle. Praying missionally involves different people and places. Jesus ministered to all types of people. We know that he spoke to outcasts like lepers and the woman at the well, and he also spoke to religious leaders like Nicodemus. And Jesus went to where the people were by the fact that it says that he went to the cities and villages He didn't sit back and wait for people to come to him How often do we just sit back and wait for the unbeliever to walk through the doors of village Bible? And then at that point we can share the gospel We shouldn't expect the lost to find their way on their own to 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 our doors We need to go out and find them Jesus didn't just spend time with the disciples Praying missionally also involves alleviating pains. Jesus physically and spiritually healed people. And we can't physically heal people, but by by proclaiming the gospel and them repenting of their sins and receiving Jesus Christ, they're healed spiritually. Now in verse 35, it talks about how he was teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel. Now, what do those two words actually mean? Why are they different? I mean, in my mind, before I I started looking into this, I just assumed that they were essentially the same word, just emphasizing it. When he's talking about proclaiming, he's talking about proclaiming the gospel specifically. And the gospel means good news. Now, while on earth, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet, so the gospel that he was proclaiming was that he was the one to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament, pointing to his death, burial, and resurrection. And when it's talking about teaching, it's talking about how he was explaining the scriptures in the synagogues in the different towns and cities that he was in. So we know, we know what Jesus' good news, what he was proclaiming, but Jesus has died and three days later did rise again. So what are, we, what are we supposed to be, what's the gospel that we're supposed to be proclaiming today? In our Discover Village booklet, we lay out the components of the gospel. We need to realize that God created us to have a relationship with him We sinned and were separated from Him, so we need to recognize our need for a Savior. We need to remember God's love for us by sending His Son to die on the cross for our sins, and that He he rose again three days later. We need to repent of our sins, and we need to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and then we need to rejoice with other believers in our salvation. Now again, Jesus taught the Scriptures. Not all of us are called to be pastors and teach to large crowds, but every single one of us are called to teach and bring up disciples. Matthew 28:18 through 20 says and Jesus came to them came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age so we see he's not just talking to a specific group of people when he's saying to teach them all that he that they've observed he's talking to everybody just over a week ago. I went on a high school mission adventure trip in North Carolina to with uh, Wycliffe jars And basically it's a mission organization and this this particular area focused on the aviation program So what we did was was that we spent uh, a whole week in the woods and we met with missionaries on a regular basis and Thursday morning we woke up to this challenge that we that we had this mission that we were given it was it was kind of like an amazing race so we were split off into four teams and we had to do these different challenges all around the campus area and then um, they were going to time us and never got the best time won and we were gonna, and that's how we were going to do it. So the first part of our race was that uh, we had two 2x4 two pieces of wood and we laid, them, we laid them on the ground and each person had to put one foot on each piece and then there was string so we had to hold the wood and we all had to walk in unison for about 75 yards all the way to the end. Now some of us did super well there was a group of three that like just like walked like they were normal And then there was a group like my group that just like we did really well at first, and then it was just like Slowly getting there So then the next challenge was we had to decode a Bible verse and then after that we jumped on a plane and the plane flew up flew around in a circle and then landed in a different area where there was a uh, Where there was this Jeep and we had to go on a jars off-road training course. So We got to go off-roading We didn't get to drive the car. Thank goodness But we got to, we got to experience it and it was, it was an experience. So then after, after that, we had to uh, go to a stream where we had a five gallon bucket and we had to fill that five gallon bucket with an eight ounce cup from this stream. And then once we filled it, we had to put it on our heads and walk a half mile uphill until we reached a broken down picnic table. And then from there, we had to find a path that led us back to the campsite where we had to, uh, we had these. Uh, it was a Bible verse in, in a weird language, and we were given a key to it, and we had to figure out, like, putting it in the right order, so that we could um, understand the Bible translation. Now, to do this, we had to listen to the, to the instructions very carefully. And there was one team, which shall remain nameless, that uh, in the very beginning, after we did the uh, the two by four walking, we were given specific instructions. We were we were reaching a uh, an airstrip, and we were told to go right. And then down, and that's where we're going to get to the next destination. Well, this team decided to go left. So they went left and went over a mile in the opposite direction. until And they finally realized, I think it was like a mile and a half, maybe two. And then they realized that they went the wrong way. So they turned around, sprinted all the way back that distance, plus the distance it took to get to the next one. And of course, they ended up having the slowest time. Jesus has clearly given us his mission Which he is modeling in Matthew 9.35, which is to make disciples. And we need to listen to that mission. We're given instructions. This isn't a, like, here's the general idea and just go for it. He's given us specific instructions on what we're supposed to do. And we can't, um, we can't deter from that path. So now that we understand the mission, the question is what is getting in the way of our lives that is stopping us from either being discipled or making disciples? Is it work? Is it other personal things are we just I don't know as we seek to learn to pray missionally we also need to realize his motivation verse 36 says when he saw the crowds he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd Jesus saw that people Jesus saw that people were troubled people were going through trials with no comfort from a shepherd Jesus saw that they were terrified and people were insecure and afraid of the future and they have no hope We all have we all go through something in our lives and if you haven't yet, then it's probably going to happen sometime down the road we lose loved ones relationships end, sometimes marriages fall apart and We need we need other believers to come and help us through all of those things and for people that are lost They don't have they don't have Jesus or the Holy Spirit to rely on in those hard times so they have absolutely no hope in those situations Now in the original language, the definition of harassed means to literally have the skin torn. And the definition of helpless means to be thrown to the ground. These words were used to describe sheep that had gone astray and ran through thorn bushes and fell over rocks um, and cliffs. That's how Jesus sees mankind. We, We as human beings are in this state of confusion as we're trying to navigate through this thing that we call life. Jesus also saw that people were threatened. Jesus sees the unbeliever as lost sheep threatened by all the things out in the world. The reality is that we as believers were all lost lost sheep once. We were confused, torn apart. Sin was constantly throwing us to the ground and we had absolutely no hope. But now we have Jesus Christ who took away our sins through his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later. We're called to cast our burdens onto Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We don't, it's no longer on us anymore. We don't have to worry because we, all we have to do is rely on God and the Holy Spirit and we're going to be okay because God's in control. Because Jesus saw that we were troubled, terrified, and threatened, he has a heart of compassion of us on us as lost sheep. Now, the definition of compassion in the original language is to have a major organ ripped out. And this was used in poems to describe intense emotion, like having your heart ripped out and stood for intense, strong sorrow. That's Jesus' heart for us. He personally saw, touched, and healed people. He desires a personal relationship with us because he's our savior. My family started attending Village Bible Church uh, right before my junior year, the summer before my junior year. And... My brother and I hadn't gone to youth group freshman and sophomore year because the church that we had been attending, um, the youth group there kind of had their own cliques and their own groups, and it reached a point to when Aaron and I tried to talk to a group, they literally would tell us, you know, you guys don't seem to fit in this group, so why don't you go talk to that one and see if that one, like, matches more your personality. So then we'd go to that group, and that group would tell us the same thing to go back to the group that just told us. So we were in this we were in this state of like we didn't know we didn't feel like we belonged and we didn't know like is this where we're supposed to be and the irony was that the first the first time we were there the youth pastor was talking about how uh, we all need to be open and welcoming to guests so that way they can feel the love of of christ on them and all of their all their heads were nodding in agreement but aaron and i still felt like this wasn't where we're supposed to be so when within the first 45 minutes aaron and i just got in the car and we went home and we just didn't really go to youth group because it was a lot easier. It was a lot more comfortable for us to stay at home and hang out with each other than force ourselves on onto this youth group. So when, so we had a distrust with, with just student ministry in general. So we had heard about Village because we had heard that it had a strong student ministry and we wanted to try it out and we wanted to see how it would go. And it kind of reached a point for Aaron and I where we had kind of told each other like out loud, like, if this doesn't work out... We'll just worry about it, like, either during or after college. We just won't think about it. It's not going to be a big deal. And we got other stuff to worry about. And so, our first Sunday, my parents went to, to first service, and my brother and I went to the DM disciple making groups. And our first week there was the first week that they had started doing this. So, Aaron and I walk in, and Mario and Jeremy are passing out these, uh, these uh, books that we're going to be studying through for the for the passages and and mario tells everybody you know you don't have to but if you want to you can donate ten dollars to help pay for the books well aaron and i felt guilty so we walked we walked up to mario and we said listen we're new we don't have ten bucks on us right now but next week we'll bring you ten dollars and mario says don't worry about it you guys are new the church is covering for your guys' books you guys are fine we were like okay so we went through all the dm groups and it was it was fun and it was great and uh Afterwards, we met at the McDonald's down the street um, to talk about how we thought it went and my mom said So what did you two think about it? And and we Aaron and I look at each other and we look at our mom and We're like, well, I mean we have to go back now And she's like why I'm like well the youth pastor just handed us a free book So we got to finish the book before we can say we can't go anymore <laughs> And that was that was the intention that was the first few weeks That was the intention the first few weeks of why we were coming because we felt obligated because like we didn't pay for the book and next week, we did bring $10, and Mario didn't want it, so we're just like, dang it. <laughs> so, but through the, through the weeks, the students and the leaders uh, had this heart of compassion on my brother and I, and it was more than just a, we're going to hang out with you because you're new. This was a, come join our group because you're just another kid and we want to hang out together. That's the heart that we need as Christians for all of the lost people who don't know Jesus. As I was preparing for this message, I came across this poem and it causes us to consider the compassion that we should have towards the lost. It's called Don't Bother Me. Don't bother me with souls to save. I have my own agenda. There's school to do and sports to play and important stuff to attend to. Don't bother me with that little girl, the girl playing by the street. She's much too young to understand the savior that she could meet. Don't bother me with my friend at school because he's got his own religion and I don't have to and I don't have time to change his mind He'll make his own decision Don't bother me with distant sounds. I hear the sounds of people screaming Although I wonder who they are what are these victims shrieking? Don't bother me with who they are. I really don't want the blame For it's the little girl and my friend at school Who from hell scream out my name? but don't bother me. Does your heart break for the lost people in your life? Your neighbors that you live next to or the people that you know at work, do you know if they're even lost or if they know Jesus Christ? And if you know that they're lost, what are their burdens? What are their struggles? And if you know the burdens and struggles, then why aren't we going out and inviting them to our homes, to our church, and just loving on them? We need to have the heart of compassion that Jesus had on us. The word compassion literally meant to rip out an organ. And for sorrow, it was the heart. And that's what he felt for us. And we need to have that same compassion. As we come to understand Jesus' motivation and his ministry toward us, we can begin to be more effective in our prayers. Issam Bashal number three is that we need to use his means. Verses 37 and 38 say then he said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest In order to pray missionally we need to see the harvest before us Jesus tells the disciples that the harvest is plentiful. But What does that really mean? What is the harvest field? The harvest is the people that we're called to share the gospel with and God has already prepared the way We live in an area where there are a lot of cornfields, and there's a process a farmer takes of tilling the soil planting the seeds and watering them regularly until it's time to harvest them And right now it's time to harvest sweet corn and as a matter of fact this weekend sugar grove has been celebrating the uh, the corn boil uh, Because it's the harvest time for sweet corn Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful now, and we're to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we see this long process of tilling the soil, planting the seeds, and watering them until it's ready to be harvested. And Jesus is telling us that the harvest is already there. All of that is done. We need laborers to go out into what needs to be what needs to be harvested. Do you see the harvest before us? I once, sort of, a youth pastor who told a student to go sit down on a bench at a mall. And imagine everyone who walks by with a sign on their forehead that said, bound for heaven or bound for hell. We need to recognize this with the people God has placed before us. We need to understand that those who haven't repented and believed in Jesus are bound for an eternity separated from God. And we need to go into the harvest field and share the gospel with them. However, we can't do this on our own power. As we pray, we need to seek the help only God can provide. Now the question is why do we need to ask God for help? We know the mission We know the motivation. We know the heart we need to have and we know the means So why why do we need to to rely on God? The harvest is vast It's not something that we can do by ourselves We need the power of the Holy Spirit as we work together with other believers in God's harvest field Which begins where we live and extends to the whole world? We need to recognize that only God can change the hearts of people God has to do the work in the hearts and prepare them to be harvested. We cannot do that on our own power. So the question is, how do we pray for the harvest field? We know that there's a harvest. We know that it, we know that it needs labor. So how do we pray, and what do we pray for? As believers today, we need to grow in our prayer lives. Typically, when we pray, our prayers are focused on health, safety. Finances, and sometimes we pray for our friends and family about the same general, general things. And praying for those things are great. It's absolutely great to pray for those things because we're relying on the Holy Spirit. But how often do we pray for one another to grow in their walk with Jesus and to go out into the harvest field? So number one, we need to pray for one another at Village to go out into the harvest field. We need to, pl- we need to pray for the churches and the churches around us We need to pray for the believers around the world and we need to pray for the generations of believers who will follow us to send workers into the harvest field if the Lord doesn't return before then. The gospel doesn't end. If everyone in this room died today, the gospel wouldn't end. It would move on with other people in the next generation. And we need to start praying for that generation today and from now on. As praying for laborers, I also believe that we become in part an answer to that prayer. As we pray, God works in our hearts and gives us the desire and the passion to go out into the Lord's harvest field and share the gospel with the lost. We see this taking place right after the passage that we're looking at today in verse 1, chapter 10. And then in verse 5 and 7. And it says, He called his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. These 12 Jesus sent out. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. We too are given that authority by Jesus. In Matthew 28, which we commonly refer to as the Great Commission, Jesus says, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. He has the authority. And we have that authority through the power of the Holy Spirit In chapter 10 the word sent out literally means to be thrown out into something This isn't a gentle push or a nudge or a maybe this is something I'm supposed to do We need to go today in this moment now There was a couple uh, who attends Village Bible Church who prayed faithfully for the salvation of their neighbors And one Sunday, as they were preparing the church a few years ago, they received a call from their their neighbor, and we'll call the neighbor Sonia. She desperately explained that that her husband, and we'll call the husband Julian, had been unfaithful, and she was fearful that her marriage was falling apart. After church, the husband of this couple went to Julian, took him out to lunch, and sat down with him, and shared the snares of unfaithfulness in, um, in the gospel, and ultimately led him to Christ. Julian immediately began to show the fruit of his salvation as he began taking difficult steps that required much faith to repair his marriage The couple from village also shared the gospel with Sonia and while she was not immediately receptive she did eventually come to faith in Jesus Christ Because of their relationship with Jesus Sonia and Julian were able to reconcile And they began attending village and got involved in a small group where they continued to grow in their faith They spent several years at village before they moved to a different state for another for for a different job opportunity the harvest is plentiful. This isn't just happening in another state, in another country where there's missionary stories. This is happening in our own backyard in Village Bible. We just, need to, we just need to be praying for it and we need to look and see it. Will you commit to praying daily for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field? So like I said before, I went on a mission adventure trip. And the beginning of this week, I got intense pain on the left side of my face To the point where on Tuesday night my mom and I went to the ER to see what was happening And we found out that I had an ear infection and that I just hadn't taken care of it And I had to have gotten it like the very beginning of the week because it was it was pretty severe So the doctor recommended he said here's I'm gonna give you a prescription for ear drops You need to take them twice a day in the morning and the night and Within a few days you'll start seeing progress and the pain will subside and the infection will go down My challenge for us, as well, is to pray two times a day, every morning and every night, that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest. After a few days, there was significant change. The pain had subsided and the infection has been swelling down. And in the same way we pray two times a day, we're going to see change. This isn't going to be like a, we're going to pray and then we'll just maybe stop after a week because it's not Sunday morning anymore and... This is the challenge to do every single day, not for a week, not for a month, just pray every morning and every night. Now I want to take this time for us to, uh, as you guys stay in your seats, I want you guys to pray um, for that God would send laborers into his harvest field. We can talk about this all morning long, but unless unless we actually start praying, it's not going to do anything. So the things we need to pray for are up here on the, on the, on the uh, projectant. And it says, uh, we need to pray for one another at a village to go out into the harvest field. We need to pray for believers in the churches around us. We need to pray for believers around in the world to go out into the harvest field. And we need to pray for the generations of believers who will follow us to send workers into the harvest field if the Lord doesn't return before then. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are the Lord of the harvest. Jesus tells us that the harvest is plentiful, and Lord, I pray that uh, that you would raise up laborers to go out into your harvest field, Lord. Lord, I pray for the people at Village Bible that you would just uh, place it on their hearts to go and and be laborers, Lord, and we would work together through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray for the churches around us, and I pray for the people that are that are out in the world. And Lord, I pray for the next generation of believers who will follow us. Lord, I pray that you would raise them up and that they too would be laborers in your harvest field. And as we go out today, Lord, I pray that we would just continue to pray for laborers, Lord, because uh, because it's your harvest field and we need to go out for your glory through the power of the Holy Spirit. In your heavenly name I pray, amen.